You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Good evening, friends. Welcome, one and all, to Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan, here on this Wednesday, sorry, Tuesday night edition of the broadcast. And once again, since I'm in Japan, I always tend to get those dates confused. But thank you once again for tuning in tonight. It is great to have you here. And for those of you keeping track at home, this is the 177th original broadcast of this radio program. And tonight's broadcast is provocatively entitled, Why James Probably Will Not Sign Your Petition. And uh, tonight we're going to be talking about solutions and the nature of real political solutions to the types of problems that we've documented here at length and ad nauseum, and uh, which I still think is important to do on, on a regular basis. We have to understand the enemy and the way that we are being attacked in order to have any hope whatsoever of actually changing the system and affecting things for the better. But having said that, we also have to be aware of the types of false strategies and false solutions that are often propounded and dangled out in front of us as a way of distracting us from the type of actual hard work that comes from true political change that will be the real revolution that really affects society. So uh, unfortunately, there are a lot of, I think, false ideas and blind alleys that we are led down and we are led to believe will somehow ameliorate our condition or make things just that much bit bit uh, bit much better but uh I, and i can tell you as someone who operates a website along these lines of course i get lots of emails from people uh, suggesting various things and uh, and i try to look into into them all and i put my support behind those things that i think are important and and are doable and are interesting etc and uh and there are a number of limitations to that of course i'm just one guy and just with this little radio broadcast i can't do everything but i certainly do try to put my uh, my weight behind things that i think are effective and to try to highlight some of the people out there who i think are doing good work on these issues but having said that i think that there are a lot of people out there who are who are caught up in the game at, at one level or another and I, I, I think there's a lot of different ways that that manifests, and one of them is the ever-popular strategy of the petition. Uh, there is, I think, even a growing sense uh, in, in our current political situation that a lot of people have that if we can just get a petition going, if we can just get a movement large enough, if we can get just enough people to go to some march in some city, then we can affect true political change. And uh, I'm I'm loath to be the one to bring the uh, the bad news, but I truly don't believe that 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 is going to be the the path for solutions that we're really seeking here when we're trying to get out of this enslavement grid that's being created around us. So I want to start tonight really by picking up where we uh, left off with Suzanne Posel on the broadcast last night. If you were listening in, uh, we were talking to Suzanne Posel of OccupyCorporatism.com. And if you weren't listening in, why weren't you? But, of course, that's available for uh, download from the archives at CorbettReport.com. And in that conversation, we were talking with Suzanne about some of her ideas for true political change and what uh, what people can do, how people can affect change in their own lives. And Suzanne offered from her own experience what she does with her family and her home, where, for example, they don't uh, they don't eat the fast food. Uh, they they uh, don't um, they don't have a TV. Uh, even uh, they they don't subscribe to the you know the the cable companies or whatever put money in the pockets of the people who are there just to brainwash indoctrinate and dumb you down 
And that is, I think, for anyone who's been listening to this broadcast for any length of time, something that resonates with myself very strongly, because it seems to me that we put so much of our own time and energy into the system to prop it up that we don't realize that we are part of the problem when we do that. So when we get invested in these ideas of petitioning the government for this or that, we are in in part investing ourselves in the problem. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back with more after these messages. All right, friends, welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. James Corbett here of CorbettReport.com. And tonight on the broadcast, we're taking a look at solutions, both uh, real and imagined, both effective and ineffective. And this is something that I'm working through myself, and I'm, I'm trying to come to a under, better understanding myself. So if you out there have any thoughts that you'd like to share, any ideas that you'd like to bounce off me, any complaints, criticisms, violent disagreements, or if you'd just like to say that I'm a genius and everything that drops out of my mouth are golden pearls of wisdom, preferably the latter, but I'll accept the former too because I have my big boy pants on today, 1-800-313-9443, 1-800-313-9443. You can get up and on the air and tell me how off my rocker or on my rocker you think I am. But tonight we're uh, fighting back against the idea that uh, signing petitions and doing marches on Washington and holding hands and singing kubaya to be uh, pithy about it are going to really affect the change that we want to see in this world. And unfortunately, change itself is a word that has been so violently co-opted and really disgraced by that uh, that imposter in the White House, the uh, would-be president, Mr. Obama, that unfortunately we start to forget that that was a word that was really co-opted and commandeered by the Obama regime, specifically because it is a powerful concept when applied truthfully, rather than as a lying um, slogan to sell a better brand of toothpaste, which is all Obama really was in the ultimate end. And, uh, and so change, for example, we are change. We had organizations popping up that were really trying to to establish some sort of new and different political movement so that change had to be co-opted and what do we have these days we have change.org change.org which uh well go and check it out if you want i'm not stopping you but i don't particularly recommend it but here we are at uh, this this idea of this website for those of you who haven't checked it out before that uh, you can go and you can start various petitions and get people to sign on to them and from this petition process, some sort of great political change is apparently going to happen. Now, the thing that a lot of people don't understand when they take a look at change.org is that this isn't related to Obama or the White House, or this isn't some sort of government program, this isn't a Democratic Party thing, this isn't political in that sense at all. In fact, this is a private for-profit business that is being run by change.org, and it makes its money firstly by uh, organizing and, and running online petitions for big big uh, NGOs like Amnesty Interna- International and ones like that, that that will pay uh, something like Change.org to host their big petitions and to create their campaigns. But also, interestingly enough, they also sell the user data of various people who sign up to use their services. So keep that in mind. And uh, once again, don't take my word for it. Go explore for yourself how the uh, Change.org business model really works. But uh, it's interesting to me that uh, the idea that that signing online petitions is somehow really going to affect change in the system has become not only uh, not only accepted but almost mainstreamed in a way. So that uh, there's a lot of impetus behind these online petitions that a lot of people are are trying to promote in various ways. 
Now, let me start out by saying that I'm not here to make any blanket statements about how all things to do with these petitions are useless, all petitions are useless, and we should just get rid of them entirely. Of course, that's not the case. And of course, if there are people out there who have some idea of so for some petition that they feel strongly about and they want other people to sign on to and that's what your thing is and that's how you get involved then by all means go and do it and uh, don't listen to anyone including myself who would tell you otherwise but i am here to put a little bit of a, a pinprick of reality in the bubble of illusion the the ballooning uh, bubble of illusion that a lot of people are living in, that uh, these types of petitions and marches and and basically petitioning the government, oh, please, Mr. Government, come in and, and make things a little bit better for us. If you can just... If you can just make things better for us, everything will, will will be magically better. It's it's along the lines of the same type of magical thinking that the Obamaites had back in 2008. Obama is going to pay for our mortgage, and we're never going to have to pay for gas again. Obama's in. Obama's in. And uh, and ultimately, I think what this does is it gets people invested in the system as it exists ruled by the people that it's ruled by secretly and of course off the record behind the scenes and you get invested in that system by basically begging for scraps from the master's table so when we go and we we petition and we redress uh, we ask for a redress of grievances from the government uh, oh please won't you make this a little bit better or won't you allow us to keep a little bit more of our money that you take from us through violence and taxation oh please just a little bit more uh, well, I don't think that ultimately that's the, the type of change that is going to actually change the system as it exists. It is, in the end, all it is is an amelioration of things. It makes it a little bit better and perhaps a little bit more livable. And let me say also that this is an, 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 a criticism that I'm leveling based on ideals, not necessarily one that's based on practicalities. So at the end of the day, if you're starving and your family's on death's doorstep and you think that, uh, that the government coming in and changing this law or tinkering with that regulation will uh, be the difference between your children starving to death and living, then, uh, then I, I guess it doesn't matter at the end of the day if, it's, uh, if petitions are, are not going to fundamentally change the system as long as your children live. I understand that argument, so I'm not here again to say that these types of things are completely ineffective or completely we should shun them in all ways and forms but i think we have to start looking at the ways that we play into the system as it exists the ways that we invest our time and our money and our energy in helping to build up the system that we understand is being used to enslave us and we have to put ourselves in the way and and put ourselves as the the wrench in the works that will stop uh, hopefully stop the system and the gears from flowing and how do we do that effectively? Of course, that's all what we're all here to do. That's all what we're everyone who's listening to this broadcast, I'm sure, is on the same page that they're they're not on board with the TSA tyranny, that they're not on board with the FDA tyranny, that they're not on board with the Department of Fatherland Security watching over them with their loving eyes at all times and the threat fusion centers and the NSA wiretaps and all of this craziness that we've seen coming out into the open over the past decade. So the question becomes, how do we adequately deal with this? And as I said before the break, I think we have to start looking along the lines of what we were looking at last night with Suzanne Posel, who was talking about the ways that on her individual level, just her herself and her family, what she can directly affect is what she, uh, the choices that she makes is what she uses to, to counteract the system as it's being put forward in front of us. 
So that sometimes we have to make difficult choices and we have to do things that are not pleasant, they're not comfortable, they're not convenient, and uh, they will often get us ridiculed and and looked down upon by others uh, in our communities because they're not on board and they don't understand what's really happening. So I'm not here to say that this is going to be an easy thing, it's not going to be a utopian thing, it's not going to be a smooth uh, progress but I think we have to look at the ways that we, on the individual level, can start to change the ways that we interact with the system. And ultimately, this this means that we have to stand up uh, on, on those points that we can stand up and stop uh, putting ourselves into this. But I don't want to just philosophize in a bubble here. I want to take a look at some specific ideas of ways that, that people can, I think, do something more effective than, than just march on Washington or have some sort of Occupy sit-in, which uh, over the past six months, I, I think a lot of the people who were originally quite on board with the Occupy idea now see, well, what really was the ultimate point of that? Uh, has it? What has it really accomplished? And I'm not saying, again, that it hasn't accomplished anything, but I'm saying that in terms of fundamentally altering the structure of the society that we're living in, it is uh, it has so far proven to not be the answer. In the exact same way that the Tea Party protests of a few years ago have not proven to be the answer. Yes, millions of people wa- marched on Washington, and of course the mainstream media tried to downplay it as just, oh, tens of thousands, as they always do. But again, what's the, what's the ultimate outcome of that? It was just co-opted and taken over by the Republican Party. These large-scale movements and these masses of people where basically you invest your identity Identity in some sort of big movement, some big family surrogate that that, uh, that people invest their identity in and start to become swept up as part of, is uh, in in many ways is just that. It's just a, a, an alternate family that people can can group around, and you, you can believe that you're part of that group and that you're all working towards the same goals. Where in reality, of course, all it ever consists of is individuals. Whether that's dozens or hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions, it is still individuals with their individual ideas and their individual goals. And the point is that if we start to invest our identity too much in the idea that we have to create some big mass political movement, and that's the only way we can change society, then we have already lost. We are already, at that point, just calculating how much of our personal identity and our personal beliefs we're willing to sacrifice or we're willing to compromise on in order to affect the change that, we're, that we want. Well, how about if I'm here to tell you that the answer should be none? Why should you invest your identity in some sort of mass political movement peopled by by thousands or tens of thousands or millions of people that you don't know will never meet, don't understand, don't have potentially don't have anything in common with other than the idea that you want to attach this or that label to yourselves. So you both want to be called tea partiers or occupiers or whatever the case may be. But I think that's the type of false political comfort that people derive from these movements. And uh, it creates this idea that there's something happening. And of course, then the uh, the big wigs who are in the uh, p- puppet positions in government can come in and, and, and correspond with the big wigs in these political movements. And, uh, and change can happen on some level that uh, that uh, the uh, the puppets can can dangle in different ways, or the shadows on the wall that are being reflected from the, the light of reality in Plato's cave can can fall in different patterns. But the fact that we're still watching the shadows or watching the puppets doesn't fundamentally change. So, as I say, I think there are effective ways and 
ineffective ways of forming those types of protests. So I don't want to, again, just dwell on the negatives and what I think people shouldn't be doing. And again, don't listen to me because uh, whatever you think that is the most effective way of doing this, you go out there and do it 110%, and I'll respect you for doing that and putting uh, the rubber to the road when it comes to your ideals. But for my money, I'm not uh, going to invest my identity in some big movement where I have to uh, rely on millions of people that I don't know and have no effect over. I do control my life. I control what I buy. I control where I shop. I control who I interact with, and I control what I do and what I put into my body and what I eat and everything I do on a daily basis, and that's how I affect change in my world. And if everyone does that, I think we can have a true effect. So a lot more to say and a lot more positive solutions to propose, but we're coming up on a break. So let's take a short breather and we'll be back after this. Once again, if you want to get in and tell me what you think on these subjects, 1-800-313-9443. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the broadcast, friends. You are tuned into Corbett Report Radio on republicbroadcasting.org. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and tonight we're talking about political solutions versus the phony solutions that are often dangled out in front of us, the idea that we can just join some movement or we can sign up to some party or we can do something uh, in, in terms of basically giving ourselves over to some large-scale political action that's going to somehow transform our society in a vague and nebulous way that never actually materializes, but always makes us feel a little bit better about participating in our own enslavement. And once again, I'd like to stress that this is not a blanket statement of criticism against all types of political action. I am uh, more and more a voluntarist at heart, and I believe that government should have no sway over uh, what we do or say or think or uh, how we act in our lives. But I'm not naive enough to think that there is no such thing as government, and we don't have to deal with it as an on-the-ground reality. And insofar as it is a reality, we have to play into that system to some extent, if only to, uh, to avoid some of the most dangerous things that are being done to us even as we speak. So one form in which I think political action can be extremely effective and has proven to be extremely effective time and time again is when it comes to something like fluoride in the water supply, which is something that is managed at a city-by-city level in a lot of municipalities in America, for example, or in my home and native land of Canada, and uh, and some of the other countries in the world where they do fluoridation, although it should be noted that there are many, many countries in the world that don't, and that should give some people pause for thought about why it happens at all. But I'm not here to preach about fluoridation right now. I'm just assuming that a lot of people understand about that. If you don't, please go to fluoridealert.org and look more into that and some of the science behind what makes fluoride really the, the horrible toxin that it is. But, uh, but having said that, I think that, that is the type of issue where people acting at the local level and coming together to try to petition government to, to get the fluoride out of the water can be effective. It has been effective. It has resulted in real changes that truly have an effect on the on the community and on the society. So that's an example of where people can band together on an issue and affect change. And of course, I think tellingly, this often comes at the local level, some sort of national blanket-wide removal of the fluoride from the water supply. I think it's pie in the sky and quite pipe dreams at this point, but people coming together at the local level can have a huge effect in influencing what their local government does, for example, vis-a-vis their water fluoridation policy. So it's, again, at that type of grassroots 
grassroots level, at the bottom, at the local level, what can be affected in your own communities and in your own neighborhoods, I think that type of political action can be effective. And I've been uh, denigrating and bad-mouthing marches and protests of uh, various sorts, but that doesn't, again, mean that I'm completely blanket against all types of uh, political protests like that. But I think there can be more effective and less effective ways of doing that. And I think we have to understand that when it comes to those types of protests, what is happening is, for all intents and purposes, a PR battle. And since we know who owns the media and what the media is really there to do to control your mind and thoughts and perceptions and what you see and what you don't see and what you read, and what you don't read on a daily basis. Unfortunately, it's uh, it's like in a you know a news uh, TV news piece or in a documentary. The editor always wins because they get to decide at the end of the day who gets to sound like an idiot and who gets to look like an idiot. Which is why I think protests are, are often so ineffective because at the end of the day, at the very best, all the protesters can really hope is that their protest will be covered in a way that will make it more about the protest than about what they are actually protesting. And of course, the uh, the mainstream media loves to focus on on the, uh, the violence and things that, that come out of these types of protests, which is why that we see that, uh, that the vast majority of the population that likes to keep these types of protests locked away in their mind is just a bunch of crazies and kooks who uh, are too, too lazy to actually get a real job, get a haircut and get a real job. Those types of people can safely continue to keep those things locked away in their mind without having to think about the issues involved because of the way the media covers it. But having said that, there are more uh, effective ways of protesting that can truly change the way that, uh, that this is perceived and the way that, uh, that, that things are actually accomplished through protest. So, for example, I want to point out an example that came across the newswires a couple of weeks ago from here in Japan. There was an anonymous group in Tokyo that took a very interesting idea to, uh, to protesting. So I'm going to read that uh, to you. It comes from news.com.au. And it runs under the headline, Anonymous Hackers Pick Up Litter in Tokyo Protest. Allies of global hacker group Anonymous have put on their, ma- put on their masks and pack- picked up litter in a Tokyo park as a protest against tough illegal download laws. The 80-strong collective said yesterday's Busy Bee was a protest against Japan's tougher laws against illegal downloads. In light rain, they took part in an anonymous cleaning service for one hour in a park and on pavements in the shopping and entertainment hub of Shibuya, a change from the group's trademark website attacks. They were dressed in black and wore masks of Guy Fox, the central figure in England's 1605 gunpowder plot to blow up Parliament, which had become a symbol of protest by the loosely linked alliance around the world. Last month, Japan's parliament enacted new copyright laws that could mean jail for anyone illegally downloading copyrighted music and movies. Okay, I'll leave it there. You can go and read the rest of that article. But to my mind, this is an example of something that's at least interesting and I think more effective than a lot of the protests that we see. Because A, it actually accomplishes something. Even if it is just cleaning up a park, it actually accomplishes something. It accomplishes something positive that no group can come out and and actually dismiss or denigrate. And it does so in a way that it gets lots of media attention. And the media attention is necessarily focused on who are these people and why. Why are they doing this? So it gets the message across. It gets it across in a positive way. It affects something positive in the community. That, to my mind, is a smart way of winning the PR battle that these types of political protests inevitably devolve into. As I say, there's lots of different forms of protesting, and uh, I'm not here to tell people that they should or shouldn't do this or that. I'm just here to put in my two cents. Once again, your two cents are welcome, 1-800-313-9443. Let's take a short break, and we'll be back with more ideas and solutions right after this. 
Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. You are tuned into Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And yet again, I am blessed to have a listening audience that is in 100% agreement with everything I say and couldn't have possibly said it better themselves because absolutely no one is interested in calling in on tonight's topic. So on that note, I'll just continue rolling along and uh, in the self-assurance that comes with knowing that I am 100% right about everything. Uh, And that was sarcasm for people who can't detect it. All right, so let's continue talking about solutions, positive ways that this can all roll out when we try to look at ways that we can positively affect something better in our society and do something better than what we've been presented with. And once again, I think we have been presented with the idea of petitioning the government. Oh, please let us do this. Please let us do that. Please give us more of our own money back, etc., etc., And that, I think, ultimately only plays into the power structure and gives to the would-be rulers the illusion that they really are ruling anything, when we all know that it's really the people behind the scenes who are ruling everything anyway. So I think it's uh, it's doubly wrong, triply wrong, to even contemplate the idea that these types of political movements that are aimed at the puppets are going to accomplish anything. I think all that does is keep us distracted and keeps us on the stage of the political theater, and it is just a theater that's played out as a way of trying to colonize people's minds, to make them believe that there is this thing called government, which we all must lay down and respect, and, and, oh, well, these people have uh, hats and badges, therefore they have authority over our lives, and they can tell us what, what to do or what not to do, as opposed to having that fundamental understanding that comes as a natural part of being a human being on this planet and understanding that we are our own authors of our own destiny, and that uh, we really have to take the responsibility of freedom, the freedom over our own actions, the responsibility to understand that we are players in our own community and the choices that we make are what we are reflections of the type of world we want to bring in or don't want to bring in. So that, uh, for example, when we pay our money to a corporation that's doing terrible things, why would we want to then go and ask some theoretical entity called the government to go and step in and say, well, no, I I like this company and the services they provide, but I don't like the way they're providing them. So the government should come in and tell us uh, how to tell that company how to run its business. And then everything will be better. Uh, so, for example, that's a, that's a b- brief discussion of uh, net neutrality, which is a, uh, a hot topic. So, uh, again, I think there will be people out there who strongly disagree with that characterization. Uh, but, uh, but that's the way I see it. I think people have to stop looking to the big stage and have to start looking at their own lives and what they can take responsibility for. And we often see this in the form of people standing up to tyranny and saying no which is an important part of all of this. So, for example, we have the TSA Don't Touch My Junk guy. And everyone will remember from a couple of years ago when the uh, the TSA protests were really kicking off and the TSA groped down, pat down, porno scanner, all of that was being unveiled. There was that man who made, became a viral online internet YouTube sensation by having the Don't Touch My Junk video where basically uh, he was being... He was going to be frisked at one of these TSA checkpoints and he said... Absolutely not. You're not going to touch my junk. Let me go. And uh, and just by standing up and just by saying no and giving people a chance to see that he was saying no and standing up, it resonated with so many people that it became a phenomenon. It started a wider uh, a wider protest movement against the TSA, and it really kicked off the idea of this opting out, which unfortunately has fallen off the radar to a certain extent. But again, it shows that the power of someone standing up and saying no and showing others how to do that is leading by example and is taking matters back into our own hands at the individual level. 
I want to take a look at another example of someone standing up and saying no that has strongly resonated with a large number of people online. This one comes from just earlier this month on July 9th. A video was posted up on YouTube, and it's called How Many Checkpoints in One Morning? Welcome to the Police State. And uh, the uh, the description of this indicates that this was on westbound I-8 in Southern California, and it says an east east-west highway that never intersects the international border. But there were uh, three, apparently, checkpoints that this person ran into in the course of one morning driving across this uh, this westbound I-8, which is, uh, I think, excessive for anyone, anyone anywhere, but let alone in the land of the free and the home of the brave, to have all of these immigration checkpoints, internal immigration checkpoints, not crossing the international border, asking people to present their papers, please, in the exact same way that the Nazis used to present, uh, used to ask people to present their papers. And we all used to understand that that was the the single hallmark of tyranny. Show us your papers, please, used to be the uh, the catchphrase to, to indicate that something was tyrannical and there was something very wrong. But somehow people are being indoctrinated and conditioned into going along with it. Well, if I just show this officer my ID, and if I just tell him I'm a U.S. citizen and give him a chance to inspect my me and my card and my paper and my car, then everything will be okay and I can just get along with it. And it's, again, a question of convenience, so I don't have time to put up a fight. Well, this guy put up a fight and he stuck to his guns, and because he didn't give in and just just lay down supine before these uh, these immigration border gods and control guards sitting there on the, the highway asking everyone for their papers, because he didn't give in, uh, and because he put this up on YouTube, he's become an online sensation at the very least. So we're going to take a listen to a little bit of the audio of this. This is how you say no, and how, how you affect change on the individual level. Let's listen to the clip. What's up, man? How are you doing today, sir? Good. You a U.S. citizen? That's my business. Well, it's our business to ask. Are you a U.S. citizen or not? You can ask. That's fine. And you have to answer me, or I'll mm-hmm. have to detain you until you can either tell me that you're a U.S. Well, I don't have to answer you because I have uh, rights as an American. Sir, go ahead and pull over there behind that other vehicle if you do me a favor. Nah, no, thanks. I'd like to just go on my way. You can go on your way as soon as you tell me if you're a U.S. citizen. Well, you know, I, I didn't know that I have to go around proving that I'm a citizen. Do I need to, like, show my papers like the Nazis? or I'm not... Am I immigrating somewhere? Or Is this Mexico? or Well, well let me ask you this. You know, is this Nazi Germany now? I have to show my papers? Yes or no. You can either answer it or we can detain you here until we figure mm-hmm. out whether you're a U.S. citizen. Well, you know what's what's more simple is the fact that my freedom is a little more important than you seem to think. And that, you know, setting up checkpoints where people have to prove that they're a citizen is not something that America is supposed to be about. So, I'm not sure if you understand that. Huh? No. Uh. He doesn't want to tell me a citizen. Well, I'm just, I mean, I'm just driving down the road here, and I've been stopped for some reason, and I'm, you know, supposed to, uh, no thank you. I want you to pull up secondary, sir. No thanks. I want, I want to go free on my way. Okay. I'm, you know, here I am just going about my own business, and, you know, 
I don't need to stop at a checkpoint where I have to prove who I am because this is America. You know, correct me if I'm wrong. Did I stumble into Mexico or is it still the United States? Okay, well then therefore I should have the freedom to travel unmolested because I'm in America here. So. Go go ahead, go. Go ahead and go Go where? Going on the road. Okay, see you later. Excellent. Well, what can I possibly say that would put it better than that? Uh, And that's a message that has not so far as we speak resonated with nearly half a million people who have watched that clip online in the last week, and uh, deservedly so, because this is an example that I think a lot of people need to see in order to understand that this is tyrannical, this is wrong, and that when we go along to get along with these types of little, just a little bit here, a little bit there, as the tyrants come and take a little bit more of your freedom, is when we suddenly wake up and realize we're in a police state. So freedom is not some nebulous, vague term, some airy-fairy philosophical concept, and nor is it something that we have to fight for and that we'll be able to obtain it like a, like a treasure chest of gold, and if we can then just hold on to it, then we have it. It's not something like that. It's something that you choose to live in in your daily life. You either stick up for your freedom and live as a free individual and say no when someone in a hat and a badge asks you to for your papers in in a situation where they have absolutely no right to do so, and we live up to that, and we we abide in freedom, or we don't, and we live as slaves. And that's the choice. And again, it's a choice that we make on an individual level. And I think that a lot of people want to obfuscate that off into the political dimension, because then they can not have that responsibility over their own choice. They don't have to think about the choices that they make on their individual uh, daily lives. They can can say, "Oh, oh, it's because this president is in power, or, oh, it's because this elected official made this law that uh, that everything's wrong in my life, rather than what you choose to do on a day-to-day level. All right, lots more to say, but we have some callers on the line, so let's get some other voices into this mix. First up, we have David in Dallas. David, thanks for calling in tonight. Yes, sir. All right, go ahead, David. David, are you there? All right, it looks like David might have dropped. Okay, well, David, you can call back in if you want. We also have uh, Richie in Louisiana, so let's go to Richie. Hey, James. Yes, you're being heard out here, and your ideas are exciting. (laughs) I agree. I'm a new listener, first-time caller to your show. Uh, A real quick uh, little story. This was in the early 80s. I was coming back from Los Angeles with my dad to to the Louisiana on I-10, headed east, and uh, we hit El Paso. It was relatively early in the morning, and we got a checkpoint where they pulled over. Now, this was before, you know, the illegal invasion was, it was still, it was happening at that time, but it wasn't at the level and the awareness that it is now, and uh, and I was not civically aware either at the time, and I was basically uh, one of the sheep that would have, that fell right in line. But anyway, as we got to the checkpoint, the, the, uh, the customs officer, uh, taps on the window, rolls it down, and he says, uh, my dad and I are looking at each other like, what's going on? And he, he asks us, uh, are you American citizens? And I don't know why, just because my dad and I are goofy. I just looked at him and said, see? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, to, I don't know, it was a nervous thing, and he kind of giggled and said, get out of here. So we went on. Uh, but yes, your your solution, or rather your idea, is really... It's 
it's refreshing to hear it because putting the blame on Obama or or George Bush or your local dog catcher or whoever, it's true. It's it's what you're doing in your own individual life. And uh, I've I'm trying to do my own part by uh I got rid of a bank account about a year ago. Uh I tore up the credit cards about a year ago. I deal in cash and uh and I pay as I as I buy things. I don't go on credit. I don't feed that beast. I'm trying other ways to, you know, I guess the cliche come out of the system for a lack of a better term. I'll I'll use that uh, to describe that I just don't want to play their game anymore. And uh, that's it, it. That's it. Getting off the grid. My hats off to you for doing all of that. Uh, and it's something that I'm not here on a high horse telling people I have it all sorted out. I mean, I'm online here and I've got uh, PayPal for payments and I'm putting videos to YouTube, which is owned by Google. And I'm invested in this system uh, to a large degree. So I'm no, no not here preaching to anyone about how to do this. But I think it has to be those types of even baby steps that people can, can make. Baby to, steps, yeah. Exactly. We have to get out. somewhere. Exactly. You've got to start somewhere, and you've got to have the you know the conviction and the the clarity of of the purpose of the the ideal of freedom, uh, etc. Uh, but I may differ on you on this. I, I haven't heard you long enough to to know your your total world view. But I look at it uh, personally. Did you see that movie Apocalypto? I haven't seen it. No. It's a great movie. At the end of the movie, it it deals with these these. Stone Age uh, Mayan people and the adventures of this particular uh, Mayan. Anyway, there's a part in the movie, and there's a big chase scene where the the, the, the evil uh, uh, the evil guys are after the hero of the film, and they get to the coastline uh, on the ocean, and then the camera cuts to the to the our hero's face, and he's got this look on his face like you know what is this, and they pan to the ocean. And you see a Spanish galleon, and you see these Europeans coming off of the ship onto the land. And the, the, the Indians, he's with his wife, they look at each other, and, uh, you know, they say something like this, you know, we better leave this alone and go and just get away from this. And my point being is that we are at the point in history where... At that moment that that Indian saw that European galley, their life was over. Their way of life, their, their culture, their system was finished. Now, it took four or five hundred years to do it, but there was no turning back at that point. There was no way to stop that ship and the European immigration over here. And I'm not making a comment on good or bad or either of that. I'm just telling you the way history goes. There are points in history that are inevitable, and there's nothing anyone can do to change them. And that's where we are. And the only change I can make is in myself. I, I agree. Yeah, broadly speaking, I think that's where we're at. And uh, and it's something that I talk about a lot when it comes to, for example, the technology that's leading us further into enslavement. And uh, and it's a question that I face because I don't think that this type of technology is just suddenly going to go away or everyone's going to suddenly magically give up all their iPhones and other goodies that they're uh, 
gradually falling into the matrix with. So it's a question of uh, what we can do about this. And again, I'm not here saying that I have all the answers. I'm just saying that we need to start the conversation. It's interesting to me, your story talking about the checkpoint and, you know, a few decades ago and when you were still in the matrix. And of course, I, I was uh, still in the matrix in my youth. And I remember driving through checkpoints. And, and at the time, I was just a child. And so it's all I all you know in the world. So you just accept it as kind of normal. What what point did you come to, to the realization that that type of thing was just not normal and not something that you wanted to participate in? You know, it, it's hard to say. It was w- within the last seven or so years. It had a lot to do with RBN was definitely one of the major uh, forms of information that just opened up a whole new world. I ha- also stumbled across a uh, another a guy on the air. Some of your listeners may have heard of George Gordon, uh, and uh, he's in a religious, or rather the you know the the biblical aspect, which is where my life is, and and I feel these are there are a lot of biblical things involved that that uh, prophecy, if you will, and uh, the internet really was the huge door opening to all of this information, and I really don't think I would have known a quarter of what I know now had it not been for just getting on this thing and and leaping, hearing one show and then uh, linking on from something I heard on that to another one, to another, to another, to another. And then you start to get a pattern of, you know, kind of keywords to, to, to type in and the, the type of uh, message that you're looking for. And uh, so this has been a long growth now. And and my final uh, goal is to, to change my political status back to a non-citizen national. Absolutely. I think that's uh, that's the type of mindset more people need to get into. And I'm glad that RBN and other alternative media is breaking through that paradigm. And that's that's the hope, I think, in our current day and age. So, uh, Richie, thank you so much for the call. We're going to take another break. We have David uh, from Dallas back on the line. We'll talk to him after this break. So don't go away. Welcome back to the program, friends. James Corbett here, CorbettReport.com. You're tuned into Corbett Report Radio on this Tuesday night, and tonight we've been talking about real political solutions as opposed to the types of political solutions that are often dangled out in front of us. So I hope, at the very least, we've managed to stimulate some thought out there and uh, get some more people to think about this issue. So on that note, we have a couple of callers left that we'll uh, try to squeeze in in the last few minutes here. So let's go back to Dave in Dallas. David, thanks for calling in. I'm not sure where I got cut off at, but uh, I, I, was, I was just rambling along there. And then I, just, I noticed that I couldn't hear. Sorry, actually, we didn't get anything, so uh, you'll have to start over. Okay, good. Uh, here, let me go ahead and do it for you. You know, you got uh, we. Uh, I'm going to be the NFICO guy. You know, the problem in America is the FICO score system. Why do they erase American history? off people's credit score every seven years. You go to the bank, and everything's set up on a, on, on a computer. So you, you if you don't have the right FICO score, you can't get a loan. And then like, it's like me. I'm 47 years old. I've paid off houses. I've paid off new cars. You start when you're 18. As you get older, you build up, you build up, you build up, you build up. And all the stuff that you paid off when you're young doesn't count anymore. So say, you you know, four or five years or six years when you get older is not that much time. So it's all erased off your, off your, off your credit bureau. So then the banks don't want to loan you any money. Why, why does the, this is just one of the tens of thousands of things that, you know, here's another one that you'll never hear politicians say, land owner. 
in any of the debates, you didn't hear one person say the word landowner, and you will not hear it out of any of the politicians all the way up. And another thing I want to talk about is Ron Paul. They kicked Ron Paul out of the RNC convention tonight. The Republicans just lost the uh, going to be uh, having Mitt Romney be the president. Obama is a shoe in now. Not one Ron Paul voter is going to vote for Obama, uh, uh, Romney, or Obama. <laughs> Obama. Yeah. yeah, I, I, I agree. And so I just, you know, I'm, I'm sitting down here in Dallas, Texas. I'm a truck driver, and I'm, and I, you know, I started. The, I've got a website called the Texas Independent Party, and I put it up probably seven or eight years ago. And basically what it is, is I'm an independent, you know, I run my own truck. You know, that's what America is built on. You know, the independents are the guys out here that just get out and do it and make it every day. I get out, I earn enough money to pay my light bills, my water bill, my gas bill, my phone bill, my insurance bill, my IRS bill, all these bills that come through. The government doesn't understand anything about any of this. All these guys are born with silver spoons in their mouth. They don't get it. It's just like this deal at the bank. I own houses, and I can't. I have deeds to houses, and go in the bank and and can lay down fifty, sixty acres of land, uh, a, a deed to a house, and they'll tell me no for a loan because the computer says that I can't get a loan because I don't have the right FICO score. You That's can't it. tell me there's something wrong with the system when a guy that has a house paid for been in business fifteen years. And they're going to tell me, no, I can't borrow $1,000, $1,500 because some computer system. Right. This, of course, it's a rigged economic system. It's a rigged political system. It's rigged against the uh, the people out there who are making their own living and, and being independent, exactly as you say. And it's not something that, uh, that I think is going to be reformed from within. I don't think there's going to be some political movement that's going to be able to change that. I think it has to start at home. It has to start with people building up their communities. And on that note, we are absolutely fresh out of time. So, Dave, Thank you for calling back in. Hatting in Florida, thank you for your call, but I'm afraid we're completely out of time, so you can call in uh, again tomorrow night and we'll get you on the air. But uh, for all of you out there, thank you for listening. Of course, I'm always interested in your ideas. You can contact me through CorbettReport.com. And on that note, we're out of time, so that's it for tonight. I will talk to you again 23 hours from now. So until then, thanks for listening, and take care.